Can a marriage survive infidelity? We dig deep to explore this thorny question. Join me, Jean-Claude Chalmet, and founder of The Place Retreats and a featured columnist for The Times, with Amy Cooper and Louise Daniels, on The Place Retreats podcast. Search Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite Android app. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to your next episode, the next chapter in the podcast series you know and love for women bursting into their 40s, 50s and beyond. In this series, we'll be casting the net a little wider than simply menopause because we've got so much more to talk about. I'm Louise Daniels and co-hosting with me this time is comedian, writer and mother Amy Cooper. Hello, Amy. Hello, Louise. Hello. <laughs> so you're in the middle of an amazing run of 100 stand-up shows, uh, which you've not done before. Uh, you started that this this year um and so i just wanted to ask you you know two questions was why and also you've got two young children at home so how how do you do that um so uh the the 100 gigs thing is a bit of an industry standard to be honest so oh. when i first started doing this so just to give you a little bit mm. of a background back in the early 1500s before <laughs> life took over and i had my kids and everything just goes up the wall doesn't it like you 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 come up for air after having small mm. children mine are 8 and 5 and you're kind of like you know when you walk into a room what did i what what was I doing? Oh yes, I was living my life, and I was I was acting, and I was um, performing, I was singing. So that is so that is That's my background. background. Yeah, and then. Um, uh, you know these these little these little screens that are in our hands constantly are our mm-hmm. smartphones, which you know are the are the root of all evil. But also for a lot of people, connect people as well. And I was finding that I was I got my creative juices back a little bit by doing little mm-hmm. silly videos on onto YouTube or, or you know onto my social media and you know onto uh, Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And then I kind of had this feeling that. I really wanted to reconnect with that visceral experience of being in a room with an audience looking in the whites of their eyes, even if the whites of their eyes are looking a little bit like, oh, what's this? What's this, Mary? What's she doing here? Because, you know, I've had a lot of um, a lot of. turkeys of gigs uh, yeah. to be honest uh, where, where it's you know but it's all a learning curve so the industry standard is to get to 100 gigs and then you've got enough experience under your belt to be able to assess what it is that you're going to do next right. whether you're maybe going to do a show that's an hour or do a festival or so that's that's yeah. what that's about and you know um I'm up to about maybe 50 so far. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's going to be my next question. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm up to. And I've definitely, I've kind of found my tribe. So I do a lot of character stuff. So I I sit quite well on a bill with like drag queens, magicians and burlesque dancers rather than sort of eight 
white straight men talking mm. about wanking and <laughs> Tinder and Brexit. Um, you know, like yeah. uh, usually I, um, I don't quite fit in at those mm. gigs, yeah. you know, like the token woman uh, character. Uh, but those have been character building, yeah. uh, funnily enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I've kind of found my tribe a little bit with that and, and that's still an evolving process and it, and it goes on. How... I do it, the logistics of doing it. So I could not do it without my mum. Mm. My mum lives around the corner from me and okay. I live around the corner from you. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and I think, um, yeah, if, if she wasn't there to sort of literally allow me to go and get that, you know, 1737 yeah. into London Bridge to be able to get to a venue at sort of 7, 7.30, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it. No, so okay. um, that that's how I do it. And, and uh, I, I'm omitting my wonderful, long-suffering husband as well there. <laughs> um, do not edit that out. No. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, who, who is um, really supportive and passionate about, um, you know, me trying to sort of find... Uh, my way back into what happens now because yeah. it is a bit of a you know it's a, it's a renaissance for somebody who uh you know I, I never had that kind of career where I was sitting at a desk and I had a maternity package and I had a desk to go back to because because I was a jobbing actor really yeah. I was doing bits and bobs yeah. and bits and pieces and you know it was a bit of a scattergun approach yeah. um so yeah I kind of plowed myself into bringing up the kids had a bit of a meltdown but We'll get into oh, that, right. I'm okay. sure. Yeah, yeah had if a we bit. could at some other point. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I, you know, you need, yeah, you just give me the T sign. You yeah. know, like uh, the, the the slit throat sign. Just tell me to shut up. Because um, yeah, but we, I, I know very few people who haven't had a wobble. Absolutely. It is just all part yeah. of it. And actually, it that's another thing. And when we first met, and mm. I was doing my little business locally and trying to sort of talk to people about. Um, when the wheels come off, it's okay. Mm. We're, we're all, mm. you're, mm. it's all right to be not yeah. all right. Yes. And, and you were very, very supportive uh, in those early days of doing it. So, um, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for and reaching out. That's all right. And can I ask how old you are? I am 40. Two. Do you know what? Quite a bit younger than me. No, listen. I had this. uh, So my birthday is in August, and last August I had this thing where I was kind of like, God, I'm 43. I'm 43, and Dad, my husband, he's like, No, no. You're going to be 42, Amy. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, that, that's wow. a, that is one good so thing about not being good at maths. Yes. I'm kind of like, I was born in 1977. No, I'm, yeah, so I'm 42. 42, um, okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so younger than me because I'm you know, 50 and I did think it would be good to have someone younger than me because I am very aware that I'm... I think there is, yeah, there can be, there's lots of things that aren't very different between somebody in their early 40s and somebody who's 50, but then also there are, there are sort of big sort of gaping differences yeah. as, as well um <laughs> and we want this to be something that is for you know well, people in their sort of mid forties and, yeah. and, and onwards. Well, we've so, talked, haven't we, mm. about the bookend, the bookendy yeah, yeah, yeah. nature of our Absolutely. of our sort of demographics yeah, and, yeah. and where we are at. Yeah. And there's so many things that I can sort of learn from you and mm. learn from our, our guests. I'm I'm really looking forward to doing yeah, that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, and and yeah, it's it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, it's gonna, it's great to have you on board. Yeah, Amy's got like a fantastic mind. She's really bright and clever and really funny and um, there'll be details in the episode I'm not going to argue with uh, that Louise uh, you know I'm just going to sit here and nod along <laughs> with that um, and we, you could you should follow her on Instagram and then you can see some of her comedy sketches and I'll put details for that in the um, in the episode notes but um, for now let's just go straight to our first guest who is Laura Dodsworth we're here in Laura's home 
with her dog who's chewing in the background. What's her name, sorry? Luna. Luna. Noisy, chewy Luna. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> okay. So Laura's Bariality series of books are 100 Women, Their Breasts, Their Stories, Manhood, The Bear Reality, which is 100 Images of Penises, and Womanhood, The Bear Reality, which features images of 100 vulvas and was made into a Channel 4 documentary called 100 Vaginas, which is still available, I think. Yes, yeah, it's still on all four, actually. Good, mm-hmm. OK. So all of the books and the documentary include personal and significant interviews with those photographed. And these are books that really break down you know, physical taboos via their via the photos that you've taken and also overturning social and emotional um, t- taboos as, as well in, in the conversations that you have with the people that you're that you're photographing. So for me, that was the, the, the most interesting thing is that uh, is the stories that have come that 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 come out yeah completely I think it'd be really easy to look at my books and describe them like you did right at the beginning actually oh it's 100 photos of penises or it's 100 photos of vulvas but I think that is that is obviously a really important aspect of it of it um I did really want to show what the spectrum of normality looked like what do what do we look like when we take off our clothes and so the photographs do that but that would only be understanding the project just at the very top level because really those photographs are signposts that take you through the politics and the themes of power and shame, um, sexuality, and all those subjects that we push right to the back of the darkest corner of the cupboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the social and emotional taboos. Because the thing is, once you photograph that really intimate and taboo part of somebody's body, once they've let you in there they let you into all of these really important subjects that we just don't talk about enough. So really the stories are what the projects are all about. So what? why did you start? You planned obviously the first book and then why did you start doing each one, I guess? Well, it's, I mean, there's the short answers and long answers. You probably want a short answer for a podcast, but no, <laughs> I, was never, I was never planning each of these. I mean, honestly, photographing 100 women's vulvas was never on the career plan. Or penises. I mean, they really, really took me by surprise. And actually, bare reality took me ages to work up the courage to to do, which now feels like a bit of a joke. I mean, after everything I've done, the the thought that I put off photographing breasts for two years is literally laughable. But here you are, you're in leafy Surrey in the suburbs, and I really would have been the only mum I knew at the school gates doing something as left field as that. So I think what it came out of was feeling like I'd been in a box all my life. Um, I've thought back and tried to remember the very first image of a woman that made me think about what being a woman would be. And it was an image of Sam Fox. Um, You know, this really iconic page three model. And I found this picture fascinating, but also really intimidating when I was a child. My dad had this pink satin cushion. It had a picture of Sam Fox on one side. You know, it used to knock around the house, the backseat of the car for a while. That image, but then so many afterwards made me feel like I just didn't measure up. And I think in common with so many women, I had lots of body image issues. It wasn't just the idea of physically having to fit into a box. It was this whole notion of what's what's a woman? Am I am I measuring up? Am I have I am I living up to it? The issues came up more and more to me in the surface. I think when I was in a stage of marriage, when I was really questioning my identity. Quite recently, married two little children. I remember I had two under two, and I was working really hard. And I think I just got a bit lost, mm. and I thought well, who am I? And is this what being a woman is? I'm a wife, I'm a mother, my body's changed a lot. 
And I, I wanted to explore what being a woman meant. So you did the first book. Yes, I found 100 women who let me photograph their breasts and talk to me about stories about their breasts. So using those as a kind of really intimate window into female lives. Right. And then you moved on to penises. How did that happen? That's just unfortunate don't. Way. How did that? I just don't. <laughs> honestly, I don't know. How on earth did that happen? Well, the thing is, I got to the end of bare reality and I thought, God, this is really amazing. Women actually rock. I love mm. women. I, I, Oh, I, I love myself a bit. It's all okay. I felt really tender about women and... I just felt like I understood myself and, and women better. And I had this realisation that actually that whole project hadn't been about women in a way. It had been about men mm-hmm. because I'd been responding to men in my life. You know, my dad and his Sam Fox cushion, yeah. things that were going on with my husband at the time, male stories all around me. And I thought, I just, I just need to know men better. How have they made me feel the way I feel? Yeah. Men don't talk about what's going on with them in the same way as women it's a general it's a it's it's a general comment of course it's not always true but I don't think they share their inner world in the same way as women so for me it was about this really important connection with masculinity and men because I wanted to understand them just totally selfish reasons for the project I wanted to understand them it was not about seeing 100 penises no (laughs) but it was about it was about going into a very intimate space there's no hiding and and a flaccid penis is soft vulnerable tender it's not like it's big sexual weapon no it's a very soft intimate vulnerable space to be in with the men and they opened up in the most amazing way yeah so it was about balancing it was about balancing it's like i know women and now i want to know men and then the next book and then the next book (laughs) yeah yeah well i suppose it was inevitable i was going to finish with that but i didn't really i didn't see it coming no i didn't see it coming did you sort of think well i've done women i've done men and that's that's it then that's what I yeah. told myself for a good right. long time. Absolutely. I've done women. I've done men. I've done both sides. Aren't I great? So balanced. Great feminist. Um, and I realised actually there's a lot of stories that would come up in womanhood that hadn't come up in bare reality because there is a lot more mystery and there's a lot more taboo around the vulva. I mean, actually, you you were saying, Amy, uh, mm. before we started the podcast, weren't you, that your... Do you mind me saying this? No, uh, not at all. That no. your eight-year-old daughter had been looking at my book and she's like, well... Well, what is this? What am I looking at? Because actually, when you see those hundred vulvas together, it All lined does look up, quite... Yeah. 10 by 10, and she was just kind of shaking her head and couldn't quite... <laughs> she'd lost her GPS sat-nav on it all. She couldn't quite yeah. identify what she was looking at. Because it's it's quite mysterious. We mm. don't see them. You know, if you're, if you're not a gynaecologist or a midwife, if you're a straight woman, you don't see them. No. Cocks are quite front and centre. You know, men might be able to catch a furtive look in the changing room. So, you know, they're not going to be able to avoid it. They can see their own. Yeah. But we can't even see our own unless we go to some, you know, particular special effort. Yeah. Um, That's what I loved about your <laughs> TED talk. Because, um, uh, you know, you, you, you talk about like, you, yeah, you've, you've got to get a mirror and you've got to kind of crouch to see it from, from that perspective <laughs> or you know huge amount of effort yeah oh my god it's so know. good I mean I, I have literally done this okay I mean a number of times many times I'll admit it and you know used a mirror and the mirror is quite small so it's quite hard to get the whole thing in and then it's dark mm. it's yeah. dark down there and you're down you're crouching on the yeah. floor with the mirror you know the lights up on the ceiling so getting a table lamp off the bedside table and then kind of trying to angle that like do I angle it at the mirror do I angle it at my Volvo what am I doing and it's just seeing yourself it's quite yeah. hard I think I've seen myself best through my lover's eyes yeah For- what what has been said to you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I'm getting a bit shy now. <laughs> so I'm not going to ask know, you. We're just, we're just going to no, deep dive here. That's... You know, this came up in the project actually. You know, the male gaze gets a really bad rep, mm. 
And what I'm talking about isn't quite the male gaze, but I'm talking about men gazing. Mm. Or it could be a woman gazing, but, you know, if, you're, if your lover's nearly in front of you and they can, they can see your vulva mm. and, and they look at it and they're telling you how beautiful it is and you know they really, really mm. do love it. Mm. In a way, Luna's munching you're... away in the background <laughs> as we're talking about this. Yeah. It's just, just <laughs> really, good, really good sound effects. <laughs> Then I think I think your lover can be your eyes, but not yeah. just your eyes, like a connection with real, mm. lovely type of body positivity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I loved about uh, I don't know if it came up in the TED talk or, or another bit of something that I, I read about your stuff, but how the conclusion that you'd come to is that men feel like they don't have enough, and women feel like they have too much. Whether mm. that too much is too much hanging out or too hairy or too smelly or too too much yeah. too much too wobbly too and, and men don't feel like they quite have enough in some circumstances and that can actually maybe dictate and inform how how they behave in certain situations whether that's in a relationship or a meeting and and if we could just meet each other halfway they, those were your words and I, and I kind of had this I was like oh exactly yeah this I I mean I Obviously, all human beings can experience shame um, and trauma and insecurities. But in general, I found that men are worried about being enough in life. You know, they're expected to be tall, tall enough, um, muscly and big, big enough, hung enough, obviously, laid enough, rich enough, everything. It's all about being enough and occupying enough space in the world. And women, on the other hand, we're not supposed to occupy very much space at all, apart from having a curvy bottom and boobs. Yeah. Otherwise, please keep your space at a minimum. Yeah. And for goodness sake, don't smell like a woman no. or don't have any natural hair. It was all about being too much. And just walking through a supermarket aisle tells you you're too much. Mm-hmm. You know, We've got a whole hygiene aisle dedicated to telling us that there's all these bits that we need to trim and tone down one way or another. There's none of that for men. There's so many ways it translates into life. You know, today I was in London and man had his arms all over the armrest and his leg on my side of the seat. You know, one mm. of my, the whole man spreading thing. Mm, yeah. um, and I just walking down a pavement, men just take their lane mm-hmm. and they, ne- they never move out of it. Mm. And I, they just expect to, to have all that space in the world. Mm. But that is sometimes difficult for men because they're under, they're under this pressure. Yeah. To be enough and of course that's really acutely felt when it comes to their penis their mm-hmm. manhood mm-hmm. Um, about being big enough and performing well enough but it's it's a it's a constant thing like my my sons are on instagram and i definitely feel that they've absorbed ideas about how they should look mm-hmm. from social media and popular culture that's very different to what boys absorbed when when i was younger you know now men are supposed to be quite big quite cut mm-hmm. hench and um, it was a there was a totally different aesthetic when we were younger. It's it's a really unfortunate parody of gender equity. I think that boys are under a, about as much pressure as girls yeah. now. So you know, even with a mum like me, mm. uh, I don't think my boys are immune from it. And I'm certainly not either. I'm not I'm not the finished article. I had a a massive row with my boyfriend last week because I thought he said I was too fat. He didn't say that at all. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, but are you saying I'm too big? Are you saying you don't like my size? And it's so easy to tap into these really deeply ingrained insecurities. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, we've got to constantly work at it. And the best way to do that is to remind ourselves about what's real. So you've got teenage boys. Um, how do your boys feel about the books that you've done? Mm. 
Channel 4 documentary, everything that you speak about. Hmm. Okay, so actually my boys are quite a good guide, I think, for when the right time to introduce these things are. But mm. these are boys, not girls, so it'd be different. When I worked on Bare Reality, they were that bit younger, so it's like five, six years ago, and it was it was under their radar in a way. In a way. It was kind of quite cool for them to see that I was going to be on TV or mm. radio and that was sort of exciting and a bit of kudos around that a little bit yeah. and they but were pre-puberty it was boobs as well which isn't boobs are easier easier than they're yeah. easier mm. but also they were pre-puberty mm. I think um there is everybody remembers that excruciating phase where you go into puberty and you're interested but you're certainly not going to say your parents you're interested mm. yeah and I mean you're allowed to be interested but they're not because they're old and disgusting yeah and things are supposed to look a certain way not real for goodness sake I don't want to see that they're not pretty ones mm. I've heard that um they found my latest project a bit more challenging because mm. they're in their early teens and I don't think they know anyone else's mum who's photographed 100 vulvas. So I think it was a bit embarrassing. Um, but I think it's very important to be true to who we are. Yeah. So I can't not do work because they might find it embarrassing. Because no. I know that what I'm doing comes from good heart. It's got integrity. And I just hope that they might think that I'm cool in about 10 years' time. Yeah. But the books are out. If they want to look, they can. I would say there is no inappropriate age for showing any child the photographs no, in my book because no. they're body parts yeah mm. absolutely pornography is mm. about context and intent mm. body parts themselves are not pornographic it's really helpful mm. i wish i'd seen the vulvas and the breasts when i was a kid yeah. or a teenager because i think it would have been really useful um well, but i think that some of the stories are difficult for different ages you have to judge yeah because there's um there's quite explicit content yeah in some yeah. of people's yeah, yeah. personal stories i think you were talking before about that balance thing and if you're your boys or any children out there you know who are old enough to have an Instagram account so they're seeing that stuff and they're seeing I don't think you get you don't get out and out sort of explicit porn on Instagram do you but I'm sure a few clicks away you're going to see stuff or do you You do kind of I mean it depends what you describe as porn though you know I wouldn't be able to share the book cover for bare reality on Instagram because it has a female nipple on the front cover Okay, so just a nipple would not be permissible but I do remember the image of Kim Kardashian that broke the internet was that her bottom? Her naked, oily mm. bottom. Right. That's okay. So, and that's actually more kind of sexually titillating yes. or appealing. and enhanced. So I think you absolutely yeah. get soft pornographic images um, on Instagram and social media. You could see a woman in a teeny tiny thong and she might be covering up her nipples with one finger on each one or something. Mm-hmm. And she could be in a really coy, sexualized position and that would be okay. Yeah. But you can't just have a nipple on Instagram Mm. so it depends what you define as porn and also you can see basically like trailers for porn on Instagram that link to porn yeah and porn stars have accounts and they're talking about what they do and you can then link to porn I know from interviewing young women in my project Womanhood uh, 100 Vaginas on Channel 4 that there are young women who thought their vulvas were abnormal from watching porn because you mainly see particular types of vulvas you know they'll be quite pink as opposed to dark coloured hairless quite sort of Neat in inverted commas, and, and a lot so of them they have had the labiaplasty, and they've they? had labiaplasty in porn as well. So they thought that they weren't normal because mm. that's what they'd seen. Yeah. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. After falling down the Laura Dodsworth wonderful rabbit hole and just immersing myself in, in you know, all of your work, um, I, I was inspired and I was hopeful, but I did feel slightly kind of emotionally exhausted and overwhelmed, especially reading your book and the stories that people share in there about abuse and, and um, you know, just all of all of the, the um, stuff that comes up. And I just wondered if you, you, you I guess you are almost like a, a counsellor as well as a photographer in those moments. And I, I wondered, being the teller of those stories, and I, I wondered how you kind of coped with the weight of that responsibility. Like, how do you practice self-care yourself? Yeah, there's a few things to address. I mean, first of all, the, the, story, the stories are intense. Mm-hmm. They are intense, particularly in womanhood. But um, I, I don't think it's a book you should read in one go, actually, because yeah. in a way it's you have to sort of do each person's story the service of giving it a bit of time, and sometimes they can be quite quite intense, but keep going with it because there are some very sexy, light-hearted and funny stories yeah. too. Um, and oh, even... I've come across those, Laura. Don't worry about oh, okay. that. Okay, yeah, there's some pretty... <laughs> that, that's, yeah, what some... Lift, that's what inspired me. I know. And my husband I is know. very grateful too. Oh my God, I'm, I'm <laughs> grateful too because I, I mean, honestly, I interviewed someone and I thought, what the fuck have I been doing with yeah. my time on this earth? Why am I not doing some of that? I've, I've ne- What? You can do... All right, I'm going to have one of those. I love um, the one yeah, in so the documentary who's like... Uh, I was a squirter. I didn't know I was a squirter, but I was a squirter. And I was like, oh. Oh my goodness. I've had so many new sexual experiences and types of orgasms since that book. Yeah, Personally, I can imagine. massively inspiring. Anyway, back to your question. <laughs> so um, it was, I, I didn't have any plan for self-care. I've gone into all my projects with no plan for self-care. This is so me. And I've worked on um, campaigns where I've 
been interviewing people about domestic abuse and made sure that they have counselling and they have backup, but never me. Mm. I don't know why I don't think about this. Um, but in a way, it's quite an important part of the creative process for me because I do like to absorb it. I'm not I'm not interviewing in a really detached journalistic <laughs> style. Oh, that's Luna. Sorry. Come and oh. sit up here, sweetie. You don't like my questions, Luna? <laughs> So I don't know why, but on each of my three projects, I haven't had any kind of plan for self-care. I'm always thinking about the people who take part in my work. How am I going to look after them? That's the thing, isn't it? I guess you you immerse yourself in that to get yeah. those results that you get. And I was saying to, to Louise on the way here, just um, so sensitively, those stories are so sensitively told. And I, you know, I don't know how much you had to do with the whole editing of that documentary. You must have been pretty close up to it to, to sort of be able to thread all those narratives together and I just yeah I was just I thought it was beautifully done oh thank you um yeah I I take editing those stories really 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 carefully because also I'm going to say no one really sees their story before it's published yeah there's been a couple of examples where there were particularly sensitive stories where people read their stories but otherwise I don't it's a massive there's a massive amount of trust and faith on each side yeah I I loved it I I had it on my laptop whilst making my cheese on toast because I'm a multitasker if nothing else (laughs) and there was some salty tears uh added yeah it was yeah it's I think it is all of those emotions you talk about, like that, um, uh, like you know the FGM um, mm. storyline, and and you know, uh, but again with that positive, hopeful thing of her saying, actually, despite the clitoris being cut, actually the most of the clitoris is inside the body. She still has an orgasm. You know, she she wins, and that lovely shot of her just sort of smiling at the end. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. It, it was it was I know I'm so beautiful. pleased for her of course that's not true for every woman no. who's had FGM some women won't be able to orgasm for lots of reasons mm. after FGM because of either emotional trauma or because they're a woman who would have needed the outside part of their yeah. clitoris to orgasm but I'm bloody glad she does yes yes yeah she's really broken lots of lots of the molds mm. yeah um, working mm. as a sexual health nurse and having such an amazing sex life post yeah. FGM it's great can I ask about women who, in the womanhood book, who were 50 plus and on their menopause journey, were they quite hard to find? Were there not many of them that came forward? Because I'm, you know, just thinking we're quite a suppressed bunch. So, you know, and before, you know, I was aware of your book and had seen the documentary, it had never occurred to me to have a look at my vulva. Never. No, no it way. never occurred to me. No way. Never occurred to You're me. You're joking. Even after, like, Are you telling children. me you'd never looked? Maybe not even when you really When I was about 13, sort of... I might have. But it didn't even I wasn't even interested. It wasn't that I thought I shouldn't. Just had no interest. Oh my god. Well, some of terrible. us are very, very nosy, Louise. Because that's why I do the kind of work I do. Oh my god. So well I've come across well, others like you the, who've the never looked. I'm assuming you see, there we are. I'm assuming that that's just like nobody ever suggested to me that I should be interested in it. So I'm not so I'm assuming that all because I'm 50, I'm assuming all 50-year-old women aren't interested, but obviously not all. But well, that, I don't know, because yeah. my sort of sample is obviously skewed and biased towards yeah, women who take part in the project. Yeah. But I did definitely interview women who've never looked. The first time they've ever seen their vulvas on the back of my camera. So that was a moment for both of us. 
Um, I didn't find it hard to find women over 50. No. No. I did find it harder to push into much older. I mean, I've got a woman who's 101 in bare reality and a man in his 90s in manhood. But I don't think I've got anyone who's over 77 in womanhood. Part of that is because I worked on it more quickly. Mm. And, you know, when you want to kind of reach out and get those rarer people... You have to allow lots of time for it. Yeah. It's hard to find people in their 80s, 90s and 100s to take part in nude photography projects. But women over 50, no, not at all. I felt there was really quite a serious appetite to take part in this. So specifically women over 50 wanted to talk about the terrible aspects of the menopause, but also how actually they're still having sex and they're fine. Thank you very much. Um, So a real mix. And what about men? Was How was that? I'm just assuming, like, you've you've presumably got to get down on your knees in front of a guy and... Is that? I mean, yes, how no. It you've, works, got, you've got straight it, to the punchline. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was. I, it was different. You know, it's really, it's really strange. The things I'll consider super carefully, and the things I haven't considered at all. So when I photograph breasts, that just involves ducking down a little bit mm. to get to the right height. One thing I didn't consider at all with manhood until I'm in my first shoot, and I thought, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> I was on my knee, on my knees in front of a man I don't know at all, photographing his penis. I thought oh, I'm going to be doing this a hundred times. This is actually, it's quite, it's quite intimate. And, and the, the body, like the body posture, everything about it is different. Yeah, mm. it was, it was different. I mean, I've not seen that many penises before. Mm. Obviously not a hundred. I don't know. I'm feeling, I've gone all awkward. Like I need to justify how many penises I, I may or may not have <laughs> you seen. You were the project started. <laughs> a cockaholic Yeah, that point. was so one really troll. charming term, a <laughs> cockaholic. It's funny. I'm keeping that for my tombstone. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was it was different. It felt a bit more. Uh, what's the word? Like a tiny bit more embarrassing mm. to start with. But with all of the projects, there's this kind of initial barrier. Like, oh, I'm really I'm really doing this. This mm. is quite intimate. But my focus very quickly switches into how do I make it comfortable for them. Mm. I, I end up doing it a hundred times. By the end of the project, I'm pretty blasé about the body parts I'm photographed. But for each person, it's the first time, it's it's a big moment and it's there's a connection with me. And so my focus is on making sure that they feel relaxed. Some men were really nervous. They're really yeah. nervous about it. Some were just, you know, <laughs> this is quite funny actually. Some men would throw off all their clothes but leave their socks on and go over to the <laughs> go over to the, the my setup. Some men would take everything off and some men just kind of dropped their dropped their trousers. Yeah, really interesting. And you'd have to sort of get them to... No, they'd have taken their top... They had to take the tops off. They had to take the tops off, yeah, okay. Tops off, but they might just drop their trousers and pants. I don't know, like a I wonder, I wonder if... or something. And some people would take... Yeah, to just... I, the first time somebody kept their socks on, I thought, oh, that's so weird. I never thought somebody would leave their socks no. on. Can you tell us how old you are, Laura? I'm 46. 46. And you, I think you said before, you're perimenopausal. Yep, yes. I'm perimenopausal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, did interviewing these women about the, that sort of next stage of your life, has that changed the way that you feel about ageing, g- beginning your menopause journey? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, going into womanhood, I was really interested to talk to women who are already through menopause because I want to know what's around the corner. Yeah. What's next for me? Mm. I- massively curious um and i was i was asking them about you know how their vaginas changed how their vulvas changed symptoms sex what's sex like how is sex is sex still okay i had loads of questions about menopause um for me it was just this amazing opportunity to 
to just look into the future. Quite, I heard a variety. You know, of course, there's a variety of experiences, aren't there? There were women who'd had barely noticeable menopauses, women who with really bad problems, including vaginal atrophy, and women who just made me think, yeah, I'll have one of those. I'll have that menopause, that one where you're still I'll order that having one, an amazing please. sex life <laughs> and there's not been any problems. I think it's my own experience of perimenopause that's um, informed how I feel about it the most. Yeah, I've, I found it quite tough, I have to say. It has really surprised me. I thought that I would just go through it entirely naturally because I'm quite into... I'm, I exercise hard and I eat well and I try to do things quite naturally. Mm. And I thought that's how I would coast through perimenopause. But no, it has mm. not been like that. I'm taking HRT, which I absolutely love. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah. I was having really bad PMT, so that's been great. But otherwise, I feel okay about it. I feel completely fine about being perimenopausal. Mm. I think that when it first started, when my periods first went irregular, I had this kind of grieving moment. I thought, oh, right. I'm not going to be able to be a mother again. Yeah. And I didn't want any more children. I said, what do I say I'm not going to be able to do a mother again? I've got this puppy <laughs> yeah. next to me. You've got a toddler. <laughs> who is making the most ridiculous noise. I'm so sorry. She's I'm still, super cute, though. I have replaced my, <laughs> my children with a new child here. Yeah, she really she does. She really does. Said, what are you looking at me? So, <laughs> yeah, I felt this kind of grief, like, oh, I won't be the maiden. I won't be the mother anymore. I can't have any more babies. I don't even want any more babies. <laughs> and actually, once I got my head around that, you know, this is inevitable. Aging is inevitable. By the way, death's inevitable at the mm. end. You know, just get with the program. We're all going to go through menopause. Mm. And I thought, this is okay. The Guardian film, is that available for people to watch it? I think the Guardian film's going to be out end of January. Um, and it will also be accompanied by um, a feature in the Weekend magazine. And there's going to be an exhibition um, with the Centre for Appearance Centre for Appearance Research in Bristol. And uh, so, finally, what is great about this stage of your life? Oh, la la, what is great? <laughs> mm, what should I say? Luna's got something to say again. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is great about this stage of life? Confidence. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not the finished article. I have wobbles, ridiculous wobbles. But overall, I am much more confident than when I was younger. Yeah. Um, I know who I am. and I And I also... Um, will acknowledge and feel proud of who I am. There are things I kind of ducked away from when I was younger and now I own it more. Um, sex, oh my God, sex is just so much better than being younger. I had good sex when I was younger too, by the way. You've done just... it a lot, haven't you? You're much better at it. Have I? How would you know? <laughs> yeah, all right, okay. <laughs> um, I think sex is a, sex is a lot better. Um, I've been on quite a conscious... I hate the word journey. Conscious journey of discovery mm. with sex. And my projects have changed me. They've changed you, Yeah, yes. they've changed yeah, me. Yeah. Um, I'm really grateful for my children. I think, they give, I think they've given me the best gift in life because they give you the gift of um, love, which is, which is wonderful. But mine are a bit older, so I, I have this... I'm in this wonderful window. I get to really enjoy them. But I'm doing quite a lot of things independently. Whereas when kids are little, it can be quite consuming. So right now, I feel like I'm in a really lovely window of enjoying children and um, feeling very focused on my work and looking forward to things ahead. Oh, you're so inspiring, Laura. Thank you. Oh, yeah. thank you. I'm, thank I'm, you so I'm much. just sort of with an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, I feel like I'm just kind of coming up for air. Thank you so much, Laura. There are links to Laura's website, her books, her TED Talk, 
and her documentary on the show notes. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for Thank having you. me. It's been amazing. Thank you. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming and podcast production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.